I don't always walk the walk. I, you know, I'm human, but, but that, that comfort and attachment is something that I didn't develop very seriously early on, which causes me some problems in my day to day. Like not going to lie about that, but, but uh, that attachment, that attachment brings expectations as well. And expectations also end often in disappointment. So I think the best thing is not to place expectations on things and try not to become so attached to people or, or places or ideas because, because they end in disappointment. What's meant to be will always be. But I think putting the energy forth, if you want to create a desired expectation, like manifestation, I, I think is absolutely real. I think if you, if you put the energy forward and you breathe something into existence, it can, it can be, but, if it doesn't work out the way that we want it to, we can't beat ourselves up. We can't, we can't allow ourselves to be attached to one possibility, one outcome. Life has so many things in store for us. This is Nick Walker, welcome to the podcast. Today I bring you Ava Notkin and we talk about doing the deep work. <laughs> and I know this, I know this beat bumps right now, but I should really let you know that I do not own the rights to this background music. Enjoy the conversation. Her energy is magnetic, inspiring, and just her way of being is um, admirable. Um, And something that I think that, you know, it would be worthwhile if a lot of people tried to you know, reach such a state of being. Um, And so, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Ava. And I guess to start, let's say you just did something that put you into a flow state. So you're feeling very good. You know, you're feeling yourself, whatever. In that moment, let's say I'm just meeting you after you are in your flow state. Who would you say Okay, so like I'm asking you, like, who are you and what do you do? Of course. So first of all, thank you for all your kind words about me. It means a lot, especially coming from someone who I also admire so deeply. Um, Personally, if I was coming from a flow state like that, I think it's hard to put words on who I am and what I do because I feel like labels can be constrictive, but In lamest terms, I'm a lover, I'm an activist, I'm a student of life. What I like to do, what I do within my life, um, I do a lot of yoga and mindfulness. I like to spread that mindfulness. I'm an artist, I'm a writer. I go to school for business somehow, and I'm a volunteer, I'm an activist, and I'm a friend and I try to be a resource. And more than anything, I try to spread love and the wisdom messages that I've received throughout my life and try to bring that towards others. My biggest thing is just spreading love in this world because there's too much hate and pain already. The best thing that we can do is bring more of that loving energy forward. I like how you talked about labels being restrictive because that's something that I love to talk about. Like I, 
I personally don't like to say like I'm a certain thing because I'm a thing that is without definition because I'm always changing. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and it's a hard thing because I know that labels at times bring people a lot of solace and help people find their identity, which is an amazing thing. And if you find community within a label or within a title, then that's beautiful and that's, that's your journey. But me personally, yeah, I agree. I'm an ever evolving structure. Whoever I am yesterday is probably not who I'll be tomorrow. And if I feel that I have to be the same person yesterday as I was tomorrow, then I'll never grow, I'll stay stagnant. And I refuse to do that in my life. And I have to be okay with allowing me and my past self to make mistakes and make fuck ups and be willing to evolve into whoever tomorrow I should be and whatever the universe places in my way. So I think it's really important to be open because I've been many people in my lifetime and I'm only 21 and I'm sure I'll be many more and I'm excited to meet all those people and whoever they may be. Yeah. It feels good to be dynamic in that way and just open to how, I don't know, I, I guess to how life wants to kind of mold you and inform you. Absolutely. And I think that we have so many sides of ourselves that we don't even know about. Like there are, there are parts of ourselves that can be awakened by people or experiences that we could close ourselves out to without even knowing it. We, if you don't allow yourself to be open, you're shutting off so many possibilities in the world. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a sad thing to let those possibilities get you by or pass you by if it was something that was meant to be. Mm -hmm. So you obviously seem pretty connected. You seem tapped in was there a specific experience in your life that kind of brought you to, you know, I'm curious, like what has catalyzed your and melded your relationship with the divine and, and how, and how it's come to be. So actually, yes, there was a singular experience that kind of put me on my path or more so a moment. Um, but I'll give you some background. So growing up, I was, I was raised Jewish, um, but we had a, I had a, a tough upbringing, not tough. I was blessed. I always had a roof over my head. I had food on my table, but my family life was often turbulent. My parents got divorced young. It was not a good divorce. Um, and I moved every two years growing up. So I often just felt very off kilter, very off balance. And up until the age of 16, I didn't believe in a God. I didn't believe in love. I didn't believe in marriage. I couldn't see a realm where this was a possibility. I couldn't see a world where a God or bigger force would allow such pain and destruction. I could not comprehend it. And I thought I was so sure of this. 16 years old, I knew the world. I knew what it was about. And then, but I was still uh, involved in a Jewish community, a worldwide Jewish community for youth as a leadership community. And I went to a spiritual leadership program of sorts for a month. And it was to allow you to dive deeper into the Jewish religion with whatever sector you were interested in. Some people chose to learn more about the Bible and the Torah or more religious sectors. But I was really drawn to this guru named Shalom, who was teaching yoga and meditation. He was in um, the police force for years dropped out, uh, grew out a beard, grew long hair, went to India for three years and studied under monks. And he came and taught us. 
and he found this amazing way of incorporating Jewish mysticism into yoga and meditation. And every single day for about a month, I woke up with him, and, not with him, but I woke up and <laughs> I woke up at like 6 a.m., went on a run with him, started the day with meditation. Um, we did chanting, we did yoga, and there were these things called uh, sound, sound healing or crystal sound bowl baths, um, which were these incredible healing sessions where Shalom would sit down with a multitude of healing instruments, play them for about an hour. And these instruments have these frequencies that put you into this meditative state and allow your consciousness to emerge in a way um, that your waking mind doesn't allow it to. And you go into this trance-like state where you're kind of waking, dreaming. Um, and a lot of people will say it's like a trip-like state. They go into their own brain and are able to find these really deep embedded conflicts or resolutions even people have said that they speak to relatives who are past or find these these um, very bright tokens of knowledge that they didn't have prior and these were very transcendental for me i had never experienced something like this before i was completely sober yet i felt like i was in a different plane of existence and as that month continued I was in the Poconos, by the way, in the middle of just trees everywhere. It was beautiful. I was encompassed by nature. I live in the city typically. And I started feeling this oneness that I never felt before. I would lay on the grass and I'd look up at the trees and I'd see them blowing in the wind and that wind was blowing through everything else in, in the vicinity. And there was just this life being carried from thing to thing. And I started to look at things in a different, in a different viewpoint. I started to see that we were all connected. And that maybe God doesn't have a particular force that determines what good or bad happens. Maybe it's just a, a consciousness or a flow of life, a flow of energy. And it was, it was really, really profound to me. Like in, in some ways I say it saved my life because I was just a different, I was a different person before. I wasn't, or perhaps this was, this was within me all along, but I didn't know it was there. I was very unaware. And when the month came to an end, I was, I was a new person. I realized that I had all this wisdom within me that I was able to unlock. I had all this, this healing that needed to be done, yes, but also I was able to heal myself and I never knew that I was able to do that before. I, don't, I didn't even know I was broken before. And not that anyone's broken, we're all perfect in our own ways, but we have, we have ego tendencies and we have trauma and we have to heal our inner children. And at 16, this all just fell on me like, like a pile of bricks. It's like, shit, man, like the great awakening is right here and I've been blind to it all along. And I was only 16, but I'm really happy I had that awakening because it's allowed, it's just guided me forward and allowed me to tap more into these, these elements that bring me to the spiritual part of life that allowed me to find meaning and allowed me to find my own meaning and realize that Yes, there might be no definitive purpose of life, but maybe the purpose is to find your own purpose. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really life-changing for me. So that was probably the spiritual experience that brought me to this world of spirituality. Um, but it, it's a constant journey. It's a constant journey forward. And um, my guru Shalom brought me, kept teaching me and allowed me to lead a seminar um, six months afterwards about mind, uh, mindfulness and meditation and yoga and being able to spread that message was really powerful, but 
he really just taught me how much power we had within ourselves and, and showed me the tools forward. And I don't know if I'd be who I was today without that experience. So I'm very, very grateful. <laughs> That's beautiful. I really appreciate you for sharing that story. And I mean, it's, 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 it's a testament to how beautiful the experience is. Because just in listening to that, like I was able to resonate with it because there is just the process of awakening. Like, yeah, it has its ups and downs, but whenever the veil is finally starting to be removed, like you said, whenever you're like lying like on the ground and looking at the sky and feeling oneness, feeling connected, whenever you are finally starting to feel those moments of connection and those moments of oneness, and those moments of alignment with who you are and and what you are actually here to do there's no better feeling than that absolutely and the possibilities are endless because you can do whatever you want in this world and you realize there's so many things that you can spread and so many spread and so many people to connect with and it's almost endless and when you do have this awakening and this veil uncovering it's almost overwhelming because it's so safe to, to be to be blind to these things it's it's so comfortable you know you're in your own little nook you're so sure of what the world is the world must hate me and I hate the world and it's a very comfortable spot to be and it's very uncomfortable to grow but it's very worthwhile like like what you were saying there's bad parts and there's good parts just like there is to ourselves we have the shadow self and the light self but we have to honor both you know and in order to to become the best versions of ourselves that we could be or more evolved souls or more evolved compassionate human beings on this on this earth we have to we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable we really have to start being comfortable with getting uncomfortable yeah we move forward we can't move forward otherwise mm -hmm. so that reminds me of a quote that i heard yesterday if i were to paraphrase it she basically said if you can't become comfortable within the darkness, within the void of existence, then you won't be able to create anything. And so I just thought that that was profound because that, I mean, that's pretty much been, you know, my entire awakening process or whatever you want to call it is getting comfortable with the darkness and realizing that I have had the power the entire time but I have pretending, I have been pretending to be broken. I have been pretending to, you know, think that I need these things to complete me or make me feel whole or whatever it may be. And so, yeah, I mean, once you. It's about lighting that match as well. You know, yeah. if you're in the darkness, you can light a match and, and that will, that will start to lead the way. It's just about taking that first step as well. Because it's not always such a great big awakening. You know, not everyone has this one moment that, that shows them the answer. Like that's not, that's more often than not going to happen. But if you're able to take, take that little step, maybe go to a yoga class, maybe listen to someone who has a different viewpoint than you. Maybe take a step back and think, huh, maybe my, my siblings didn't mean it that way. Maybe, maybe not everyone hates me. Maybe, maybe I, maybe other people have feelings too. You know, we come from this place of egocentrism where we believe that the world is about us. But when we take a step back and realize, okay, 
we can only control ourselves, but we can add and we can move forward and we can give things to other people's lives. Then it, it becomes less about you. I think when you realize that we're all connected, it's not about, it's not about you anymore because you're not just you. You're, I'm you and you are me and I'm my neighbor and my neighbor is me. And even though I'm Jewish, I'm my Muslim brother and sister and my Muslim brother and sister is me. You know, like these are things that we should understand that we are all, there are so many misconceptions that are fed to us from a young age that we're just societally programmed to believe or that we've allowed ourselves to be scared into, whether that's about uh, socialization or communication or going out for our dreams or believing that we can do something big. We're always constantly, I believe that people will either allow themselves to be shut down or we take other people's uh, words for face value. Like they know more than we know, like they have some information that we weren't given and we should, should, you know, bow down to what they have to tell us. But it, it's really about understanding that the possibilities are endless. It really is endless and not letting what other people, you know, we also have to understand that the systems that are put in place were made by people in times that have known just as much as we do. And if you want to take a step back and, and criticize the system, that's okay too. We don't, you know, we can make our own systems. We can make our own, our own communities and our own thought processes and ideologies. We don't have to uh, be slaves to the people who have given us ideas prior. Everything is constantly evolving and changing. It's this, um, this consciousness revolution. It doesn't just apply to the self, it applies to the population as well. Mm. I love that idea about the possibilities are endless because we do have a tendency to place our power in all these systems. Like, yeah, you know, the circumstances that you are born under, sure, perhaps they can definitely be, um, you know, you can, you can, adopt the perspective that you are less fortunate than another person. Um, which, yeah, like to some extent, yes, but I think it's all just the perspective because I, I think no matter what, you can become whoever you want to become. You can do whatever you want to do. You just have to eliminate those mental barriers that tell you that you can't mm -hmm. and that you are not because mm -hmm. I don't think there is any separation between that in which you desire and you if we're looking at if if we're if we are I don't even I don't even want to I don't even want to say assuming the perspective because it's a perspective that I feel it's a feeling that everything is connected and perception is reality <laughs> yes exactly like it's not it's not me like saying well everyone else is saying that everything is connected so that's what I'm gonna think it's something that I have experienced and continue to experience and so with that said I know that who I want to become the only thing that is preventing me from becoming that is myself my me <laughs> is the only separation Same we're our own worst enemy Exactly. Yeah, we're our own worst enemy. Absolutely. And it, and it's an interesting that you say, though, I want to go back to the point where you said um, the only one or no, um, we are ourselves and our desire are one and the same, you believe. You believe they're one and the same. But I beg to differ that 
perhaps, perhaps not. Because just like you said, the only one uh, stopping you from achieving your goals is, is your own self. It's that our emotions and our thoughts aren't necessarily who we are. We can feed the energy into our thoughts. You know, we can feed the energy into um, whatever passing ideas come into our brain. And if they're negative, we can feed negative energy into those thoughts and that can become a reality just like perception is reality. And if they're positive, you know, we can also feed, feed energy into those thoughts. But we also very much so have the power to watch those thoughts move by in our, in our brains like a movie, like pictures on the screen and send it away, watch it fly away. My favorite guru, Ram Dass, speaks a lot about this. Um, just about watching, watching your, your, your thoughts and allowing them to disintegrate from yourself because they are, not, they are not necessarily yourself. They're just your thoughts. Just because you think something bad, you're angry at someone, you're, you're allowing the negativity to get to you just because you think, oh man, I wish I could hurt, you know, hurt this person, something like that. You're not gonna go hurt this person. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're, that you're a, an aggressive person. It's just a thought you had. And if you don't feed into it, it doesn't need to become you. So, so this goes back to the whole thing. Perception is reality. Desires can become a part of who, are, who we are, but inherently, I don't know if they are. Because to make them a part of who we are, we need to choose to feed energy into those thoughts. And it's something, just like you're doing with this podcast, it's something that you're choosing to feed energy into. You're taking this thought, making an idea, making it into reality. People do the same thing with negative emotions. People do the same thing with, I mean, there are obviously chemical, chemical structures that have to do with like illness and disease, but but depression, I mean, depression sometimes can be a, a mental state, which is very hard to break free of. I've, you know, I've been depressed before, I get it. But, but allowing, having the strength to take your mind and try to feed that energy into positive thoughts rather than negative ones, which takes a lot of strength, allows that to become who you are. But I think it's a choice. I do. Yeah. I love how you mentioned that because frankly, it's been harder for me to define the difference between because whenever you think about attachment it's like where do you draw the line between being over attached to a desired outcome or you know, manifesting that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and they say that attachment is the root of all suffering. That's what the Buddhists say. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so, and so, and i not to interrupt you, but absolutely go ahead. Like, like, yeah, like Ram Dass will say like consciousness without concepts is freedom. And so that definitely relates to what you were just talking about in regards to you know, looking at your feelings and your thoughts and knowing that they are not you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I do want to hear about what your, your thoughts are about desire and attachment. Yeah. Well, so attachment, as they say, is the root of all suffering, which I do, as I've, as I've gone further and further in my life, I have to agree. I have to agree. I mean, I've, I moved every two years growing up. I couldn't get attached to my friends. I, I, I couldn't get attached to my, to my houses. These were things that were all momentary and I understood this, that it could be temporary and that I probably was gonna move in two years and I had to be thankful for what I had in the moment and it allowed me to really live in the moment. 
and though it's I, mean, I don't always walk the walk I, you know I'm human but but that that comfort and attachment is something that I didn't develop very seriously early on which causes me some problems in my day-to-day like not gonna lie about that but yeah. but uh, that attachment that attachment brings expectations as well and expectations also end often in disappointment so I think the best thing is not to place expectations on things and try not to become so attached to people or or places or ideas because because they end in disappointment what's meant to be will always be but i think putting the energy forth if you want to create a desired expectation like manifestation i i think is absolutely real i think if you if you put the energy forward and you breathe something into existence it can it can be but if it doesn't work out the way that we want it to, we can't beat ourselves up. We can't, we can't allow ourselves to be attached to one possibility, one outcome. Yeah. Life has so many things in store for us. And, and like my life has changed moment by, look at the pandemic right now. You know, we get attached to the way, I had an amazing intern, I was supposed to intern for the Olympics this summer and the pandemic hit, you know, I was supposed to go to, go to Israel and the pandemic hit and I, the minute, the minute I found out those weren't happening, I had to let my attachment, my desire melt away because, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't what was meant to be. You know, I'm meant to be here with my family and staying safe and helping my mom at home. That, that was what was meant to be. The universe had a different plan. Sometimes we think we know what's best for ourselves, but we really don't. And this goes back to being our own worst enemy because how can we, how can we set something so firmly in our desire if maybe it's just a, uh, self-sabotage if we're not healing this inner child which i've talked to you about before Mm -hmm. maybe maybe there's a part of ourselves that's coming out to bring ourselves towards something that we don't really need that we think we want yeah there's there's an impurity and intent mm -hmm. and I, i i love what you just said about that because that's the approach that i have been taking as of late it's like i know what i want I know what my intentions are, what I desire, but, and I, and I reaffirm it to myself all the time, but at the same time, I have to be very loose in how exactly it happens and when exactly it happens. Like I know what I want generally. And so since I know what I want generally, I will let the universe take care of all the details. And I mean that, and that makes it so much easier for me because I don't really have to go out and try to do all of these things in order to create that result. Like it does take some doing, but at the end of the day, it takes me just being in that space. It just takes me being that first. And then since I am being that, then, you know, naturally I can do it. And then naturally I can have it. Well, you're creating that reality. Like Mm -hmm. your perception is becoming your reality which is a beautiful thing. I think that, that we should have mindsets and goals in place and, and walking towards something. You know, you, you're trying to walk towards something with your path. So you're not trying to be stagnant. And while you're walking al- along towards something in your path, that's when the growth and the change and the learning comes, is when you're walking towards something. Because you'll fumble and you'll fall and you'll get back up as long as you keep walking, as you said. And not getting attached to what should happen along the way. But I wonder when, you know, we're talking about ideas and concepts, more so like career or something, but 
when we talk about attachment and desire with with people like we're we're in college together you know allowing seeing young or 20 something people who get this attachment and these expectations to what people should be how for them um how they should be a good friend how they should be a good lover how they should be a good um community member even on campus i think that or within this realm of, of young people also of course older people i'm speaking to our age group and our demographic um people find that that um they don't they don't realize that everybody has their own upbringing their own mix of cultures, identities, stories, experiences that have formed them into the human beings they are today. And our mode of attachment, our, our mode of perception, what we need to feel loved and cared for is not the same as someone else. And I think this is something that a lot of people really realize coming into college because they're living in such close quarters with other people for the first time. That's not their family or loved ones. Um, but I think it's also realizing it's just very important to realize that we are all comprised of very different backgrounds and very different stories. And they, they really affect the way that we see the world. And you know, not everyone's gonna be so spiritually integrated. Not everyone's gonna find their, their light this way. Um, but I think it's also about trying to find the middle ground and trying to help others at least. I, I, I try to and allow people to see that that we can't we can't force these expectations on each other as young people we're all walking towards our own path and we have to be grateful for the way that we're there for each other the way that we're able to grow with one another the way that we're able to experience things with one another but we we can't depend too much on one another we can't expect too much from one another and we can't we can't force force too much because we're all very different. And I think we have a lot to learn from one another. I know that was a mouthful. No. Um, hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I do think it's very easy to get caught up in what other people are doing. Um, not realizing that, you know, they're here to learn different things that you are here to learn. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I shot off a tweet about it like two days ago or something, but. I saw it. I loved it. Um, I'm trying to think of what I said. It was like, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to think about like what I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to. Um, I agree with my what you're saying. My brain just took a vacation. No, it's no worries. I completely agree with what you're saying, though. We're all here to learn something different. We're all truly here to learn something different. And we have to understand that someone else's path might not necessarily be yours. And we have to be okay with that. And if we don't cross paths right now, you know, we might have started on the same journey and we, we end up going on different paths. Perhaps we can meet back up at one point in time when it's meant to be, when we've learned what we need to learn. But we yeah. need to give everyone the space to learn what they need to learn. And um, I think it takes an evolved person to understand this. It takes, yeah. it takes an evolved person to want to apply that love um, and understanding towards others. It's a certain type of empathy that it requires, that, that a lack of egocentrism that the world is value. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the circumstances. It's, 
acknowledging that, okay, perhaps I, you know, didn't grow up in this certain way or have these things, or maybe I, maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm not this way. Um, it's just the expectations and just finding, you know, the meaning in it and perhaps coming to the realization that your circumstances, every single thing about you is perfect. It's perfect. I mean, it, I mean, it may, it, it may not seem that way. Um, but you can 100% adopt that perspective that it is perfect. It has a purpose. It is a vehicle for you to become who you intuitively know you are meant to become. Yes, absolutely. And I'd like to bring uh, attention to what you said about our, our bodies being the vessels to allowing you to become whatever you need to become because that was a really important sentiment for me that I started really acknowledging and appreciating in college is that my body is a really strong, powerful force that I need to take care of. And that stores all these beautiful ideas and thoughts and connections and allows me to connect to the world. This is my, this is my home and this is the only home I'm going to have. And I might as well start appreciating it and taking care of it because you know, we could, we can hate, we can hate our bodies for the rest of our lives. I'm shift, shifting the topic a little bit, but we can, we can hate our bodies for the rest of our lives. We can, we can, you know, treat them poorly. We can feel like it's just, it's just our flesh and our bones, or we can treat it like the sacred temple that it truly is. And um, that's when I started getting into yoga and, and fitness and things, because I realized that the spirituality is more than just a a plane of existence. It, well, I, let me take that back. It is a plane of existence that that incorporates itself into every single compartment of your life, whether that's mindfulness and communication with your friends, whether that's dancing, going in like ecstatic dancing. That's a meditation. Like that is meditative. Or if that's even the way that you approach, you know, people, you know, the people that you work with, people on campus, the way you uh, approach walking, exercise, the way you approach sleep, the way you approach eating, um, it all can be a spiritual endeavor if you allow it to be. Or it can be a ball-busting, terrible, um, gloomy existence if you want it to be. I mean, that goes back to breathing your reality. But realizing the holiness of our bodies has been a part of this true awakening for me as well. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the relationship, like what, from what I heard you just say, it's really just our relationship with everything. Mm -hmm. Like you just talked about like how, like you, like how you walk, like that is, I mean, like, like I, like I see some people who literally walk, like they're like mad at the ground, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like they're like stomping the earth and it's like, yeah. I don't know, but I mean, that's just an example of like a relationship and it's just the relationship that we have with everything. The mm -hmm. ways in which we are acting reflect how we feel about life. And since we are life, it reflects how we feel about ourselves. Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. And the energy is palpable. The energy you put out there, people can feel it. People will always feel it. Um, so I, I completely agree. And I also, but going back to the, the healing your body, it is an, an everything experience. 
but I think especially like within college people people forget that people get you know people get away from their body and that's like very very disassociative manner which is almost scary at times you know how far can I take it how many drugs can I take how how drunk can I get how 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 much can my body take you know how much can I take and it's um you know, we've all been there. People want to, people grow, people find their own ways to, to find their, their escape. You know, there are healthier practices than others, obviously. But I think as we're growing older in this world, realizing how important it is to, you know, there's something really spiritual about eating foods that come from the ground. There's something really spiritual about eating clean and knowing that whatever, you know, you have no added I just saw you tweeting about this actually the other day about how there's no added or this morning even I think actually um, there's no added uh, um, processing ingredients well, to your yeah, food. The oils, like yeah, the oils and all this stuff. It's it's we're like buying into these systems. It's you don't have to buy into that system. You don't have to buy into these these saturated fats and these things that are literally like should not be in our bodies. And I used to just like binge eat this stuff all the time. I would you know that was. Um, food was how I used to cope with my emotions before I found spirituality and everything. It would just, you know, if I ate enough food, I'd shove down my emotions. It's fine. Like I forget about it and I focus on the taste of the food. Um, but even, even these, these added ingredients are addictive. It's just another addiction. Um, and learning how to fuel our body is also like one of the first steps I will say, like, if not a very, very, very important step to enlightenment and awakening because our body can't run on, on, I mean, no harm to potato chips and like fried foods. Like, yo, I love a good burger, but, but our, our body needs, needs to be, to be nurtured, to run properly, to fuel our brain, to fuel these thoughts, to feel like the minute I started eating clean, I don't eat clean all the time, but I try to, I started feeling like a superwoman. I didn't know that I could feel so good. I didn't know that I could have so much energy. I didn't know that by drinking matcha in the beginning of the day instead of coffee, by doing this meditative tea that monks have done for, for ages upon ages, I would, I would be so much more focused and have a lot more clarity in my day than if I drank, you know, four cups of coffee and, and was jittery the whole time. This is, um, you know, talking about things in more lamest terms, but it's about ways that we can actually definitively integrate these spiritual practices into our lives. So nurturing, nurturing, our bodies in turn is nurturing our, our souls. Absolutely. I mean, think about the heart. It's literally beating all day. Like it's like, it spends 100% of its time trying to help you. And I feel like there's definitely, you know, an inclination for people to maybe knowingly or unknowingly sabotage what their body is trying to do for them so and our, body, <laughs> our bodies do so much for us our bodies do so so much for us and we have no idea you know i mm. as i'm getting older i just every single day i'm so thankful that i have my health not even older we're in the middle of a pandemic you know left right everyone's health is is being compromised right now and is at risk and people are losing their lives over a a disease, you know, and, and people are, people are going out willy nilly, like it's not a big deal. And I'm not trying to get political here or anything, but, but it's our health 
I just, this whole entire time has allowed me to feel so freaking grateful for my health and my family's health and being able to have my own two legs to walk on and breath to breathe and able to speak and able to dance and able to sing and able to walk and able to run, able to do yoga. You know, these aren't, there's so many people in this world who can't do this and we're so young and I can't tell you how many times I've laid in bed all day and done nothing and then done yoga or, or meditated a few days later and remembered that I have these limbs that can move. I have these limbs that can get me places, man. Like I can, I can dance. Like, thank God I can dance. Like, you know, my ancestors aren't here to dance. I should, you know, I got to dance for my ancestors. Like I am, as I've realized all this, it's just made me so, so grateful to be alive and just really, really keen on, you know, it's hard because I want to spread these like awarenesses to everyone in my life. Like everything we're talking about here, like I wish I could take it and, and tell everyone and tell all my friends and be like, guys, let's, let's all heal, heal our inner children. Let's go to the great awakening together. Let's, let's, you know, take off the veil and see the world for what it is. Peace, love, and rainbows. Let's, let's have the revolution. But it, it's, it's not that easy and everyone's on their own journey. But I think that me doing it in my life and you doing it in your life and, and being able to show it and just document it, you know, whoever wants to listen, listen, whoever wants to watch, watch. I have things to say, I have stories to tell. And if you want to listen, you know, I'd, I'd love to tell you. And in that way, you know, then you're, then you are spreading, we're, we're getting to spread that, that, that message and that warmth. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's most important that we're doing it on, on, on an internal level. And there's actually a saying that I really love um, in Judaism, actually. It's called tikkun olam, which is repairing the world. It's one of the Jewish principles of the religion. And with this yoga teacher that I, I'm, I'm doing a new yoga practice lately, this new yoga teacher that I've been speaking to, he said, you know, in order to repair the world, we must in turn first repair ourselves. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think it's a constant struggle, but how... How does one know how to how to heal the world if they don't even know themselves? And then if you don't know yourself, how do you truly know anyone else? You know, and it's a constant it's a constant journey to learn who we are. And as I said before, I think we're many people and can be many people, but we have to do this inner work first. We really do. And you look at leaders in this world and and or or adults in this world who are aggressive or angry. And I just think, you know, like they haven't done this in our work, man. They haven't, they, they haven't. And it's a shame. It's very easy to, you know, people who have been fortunate enough to reach a certain level of success politically or whatever it may be. Yeah. It, it's very easy to kind of get trapped in that, you know, materialism and completely neglect the inner work, which is where the healing is and because of that i mean look at the state of affairs in the world there is destruction <laughs> there is chaos and as above so below it's you know what's happening externally is is happening is a reflection of the internal and absolutely so i mean <laughs> i mean that's why you know, I don't really know how how things are going to change 
I mean, I, I mean, I know it definitely starts with, you know, our generation mm-hmm. and, you know, us raising our children um, consciously. <laughs> um, so they don't grow up with tons of wounds and they're, they're just inflicting their internal pain onto the world. But I mean, as far as, you know, the people who are, you know, in control of things right now, I really don't know. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Maybe well, put some LSD in the water and yeah, tell me about things it. in a different way, but. I think that would be a good way to get everyone on board. <laughs> <laughs> it really would. But, but. but um but i do think you know i i agree with everything you're saying and i think it's scary um or, or not necessarily scary i guess it's just eye-opening that the state of the world is is in the state that it is in today but with that being said i do think that we're in the middle of a great awakening this is like the second great awakening we had the consciousness uh the consciousness revolution in the 60s in the 70s and now our generation is waking up too in a way that it's never happened before and you look at gen z I know we're on the edge of like Gen Z and millennial, um, but we're, I mean, we're Gen Zers, but the, the Gen Z kids that are in high school right now, that are, that are 18 years old, that are out there, you know, fighting on the street, like, don't give two fucks, just, you know, they will, they will bleed for their brothers and sisters. It's not, it's not a question, you know, they're out there, they're ready to, to have change and they don't want, they don't want monsters in office. They're ready to fight. They're ready. They're ready to fight with love, man. They're ready to fight with love. I see. I, I, I will see like little kids like in my neighborhood and just like kind of knowing what's going on now and having an intuitive knowing of kind of what's going to happen next. I just look at them and I think like, damn, they're going to see some shit. Oh. Like seriously. Because oh I mean. Oh God, there, I feel so. You know, I feel for the kids who are so young right now because they have not known a world without this kind of pain right now. And I guess it's good that this was a, that, you know, the reality is here. Like, there's no more hiding. But they will not have normality. You know, we, I feel like the world shut its eyes for a hot minute, or America shut its eyes for a hot minute following, what, the, 70s, the 80s, you know. They wanted to do disco, everyone wanted to do coke, you know. There was a big boom on Wall Street. People were partying, people were celebrating. They thought things were equal past the civil rights movement. Clearly nothing would change, truly. But, but everyone thought it was celebration time. And because of that, we have, you know, people like Donald Trump in office, who was also in celebration time. And um, even though I truly, I truly think he's a monster, but, um, but that being said, I think our generation is like, okay, no more partying. Why are we dancing? Why are we, why are we, uh, you know, buying all this money when we can't, or spending all this money and taking all this money from our own people when we can't even pay for our school systems, when we can't even provide food for the kids that need it in underserved communities. And, you know, why, why is this cause for celebration when black and brown people have no, no sense of equality within the state, within any state in America. Um, so I think, I think it's great that their eyes are open. I do feel pain for them that this is the world that they have to go through. But I'm also very grateful that we have this whole entire generation of soldiers, of warriors, seriously, like life warriors who just innately know that respect for your fellow human being is the most important thing. They just know it. And it's like, okay, we don't have to, you know, there's so much generational trauma and I, you brought this up 
a, a few minutes ago about, about breaking this curse, teaching our children. There's so much generational trauma that, that needs to be broken. You know, um, we have, you know, the baby boomers and uh, the, we had all these people coming from the Vietnam War. They were happy to be back, had all this trauma, had seen all this war, had children, were really tough on those children. Um, they just worked, you know, nine to five jobs, blue collar and white collar jobs to try to, to get to the next phase. The nuclear family comes about. Um, and there's just all this, all this silencing. Emotions weren't important. It was about providing for your family, overcoming from the war. You know, you have your war veterans coming home, not getting any mental health treatment for their, for their pain and suffering. Um, and it just, it just trickles down through generation to generation, um, especially with the patriarchs of the family. And I think this is something that's changing and it's something that's being realized and, and nobody wants to, nobody wants to bring this pain to their children. Our generation realizes this and we don't want to continue this. We're actually trying to do this, this healing work. I mean, me and you are, I'm 21. I'm assuming you're 21 as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm really grateful that we're so young trying to do this work because I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring this, you know, painful baggage into my adulthood. I don't want, you know, to have clouded vision and constantly, constantly being trying to serve my, my inner child um, from this generational trauma and ancestral pain. That's, you know, I'm not bringing that into the next, the next generation. And I have such trust that so many others in our as well. Um, so it's really, it's really energizing and exciting, um, but there's a lot of change to be made. And I think it's going to be a difficult um, path moving forward, but one worth fighting. And that's needed to be fought for a long time. Yeah, I think it will get uglier before it gets better, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be, um, I mean, I'm not trying to like, be like the doomsday guy and say like dude everything is fucked but i mean it it it, it takes an upheaval for change to occur we mm -hmm. need to see the darkness we need to see the void of existence and be like okay we like it is required for us to create something new with this so I completely agree. And so I do want to talk to you about the masculine and the feminine, because I know that we could definitely go pretty deep on that. And it's a fascinating topic. And so I want to hear, you know, what the divine feminine feels like to you. Mm. And then what the wounded feminine feels like. Great question. So I've been talking about this so much lately, actually, with the women in my life. Um, the divine feminine, so I, I think that, that both the divine masculine and divine feminine are, are very important in our life. They're, they're, the duality is important, just like the light and dark in ourselves is important. We all have this feminine and male principle within us. Um, so it's obviously not just exclusive to females and males, but I do, you know, I feel like feminine divinity. I feel like feminine divinity is just, to me is the power of the woman, which is really just creation and maternal energy, nurturing, um, comforting, love, uh, true joy. But it's, it's really power. It's power and pain as well. It's strength. Um, women are constantly reminded um, of our 
of the, the pain that we have to go through. Not that it, not that, but I think that we do have a tie to pain. You know, we have to understand, you know, women, women go through childbirth. Women, women have this, this almost, no, and not almost, an entirely spiritual experience to pain and growth and, and, and moving forward and becoming women, powerful women. And it is, it is, I think the most powerful force in this world. I mean, I, I, I'm surrounded by powerful women everywhere I turn in my life. I was raised by a powerful woman. My mom mostly raised me as a single mother and there's me and three of my siblings. And, and she was always a strong force in my life. And the male principle has stability. The male principle has structure. The male principle has a guiding light. And these are all very, very like amazing things. But the feminine divinity puts me in touch with the spiritual world. It just, I feel like, I feel like I am whole within myself. I heard this quote and no disrespect to men, but I am going to rag on men a little bit here. Um, no disrespect to men, but you know, women are, are born and created whole. Like we don't, you know, we have the power to create within ourselves. We don't really have this, this void because we have this ability to create life. We have everything we need within ourselves. And there is, um, we are very comfortable and, and tied to the light and dark selves, if not more so to the dark selves. Very, women are, are emotional creatures. We're very intuitive. We're very in touch with what we feel and what we go through to an almost spiritual level. It, it, you know, it, it, I, I don't want to speak for all women, but it definitely commands me. My emotions lead me a lot of places that I go. And men, I believe, not all men, evolved men, I feel like, you know, can understand this, but there are a lot of unevolved men who have this void. You know, they don't have creation within them. They, they don't know their purpose. Women just innately know their purpose. It's to create life. Men don't innately have that purpose. And I think there are a lot of men who try to fill that void with, um, with vices, whether that be drugs, sex, alcohol, money, um, working out even. Like there are just vices where people will try to fill that purpose. Um, but when, when men realize that, you know, that you know they're not always that that there's something special within women that there's not always that that wholeness within ourselves that we have to have that appreciation for both men and women in our world um if we're speaking in such you know polar terms um, then it it really it makes way for a more appreciative society i think that men and women can learn a lot from each other if we're able to meet in the middle but i find that especially with the men in my life that i'm close to they realize that women are this powerful entity. They see that, they respect that. They don't, they don't try to make women feel less than. Um, but I also think there's men that do have that void and that hole and aren't evolved enough to realize that and in turn want to take that kind of uh, inferiority out on the female because they don't understand and they don't get it. Um, I know that that put it in a more, a little bit less spiritual terms in a more applicable terms. But I think that this is like a real, a real problem and difference between men and men and women mm -hmm. in this, in this world. Yeah. That's great. I, um, I like how you, how you kind of described like how it felt, because I think it's important for people to know how it feels and because it is a part of them, but it's just repressed. 
whether mm. you are a man yeah. who's repressing that part of yourself or you're a woman who is, you know, swinging like on the very masculine side and being imbalanced in that way. Mm -hmm. um, unless that's something that you just want to do. Um, but I really connect with what you are saying about that feeling of wholeness and that feeling of connectedness because that's exactly how I would describe it whenever I um, am, in, am, am, am firmly in touch with the feminine. It feels, to me, it feels very raw. It feels very it's as if it's like um like yeah like feeling feeling love all that but it's almost like this fascination that i have with everything in the natural world and just a feeling of connection with it and there's just something about like the ability to feel that is just so beautiful. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, de I definitely resonate with the creative aspect because whenever we are being creative, we are in tuned with what we are feeling. Absolutely. Creativity is not thought before feeling, it's feeling before thought. Um, and then action. <laughs> so yeah, that's what it feels like for me. And so I guess for me, what the masculine feels like is the healed masculine. The healed masculine to me feels stillness. Oh, and also I should mention for the feminine, it's like a flow. It feels it's like flowing. Like I'm I'm flowing with life, um, and it's just like a movement to it. That's like, it's great. Mm -hmm. um, but for the masculine, the masculine is what. I think they both feel good, but. I guess if I were to prefer one, it would be the masculine. Um, probably no surprise there, but whenever I'm fully embodied in the masculine, there's just no better feeling to me. Um, but I mean, it just feels, you know, it's like the stillness. It's, um, it's almost like I don't care about anything, like anything, not like, I mean, yeah, like I'm, because like there's that, there's that awareness there, that full, awareness of what is going on but there's a detachment from it that is kind of different from the feminine in my opinion which feels connected um is it almost like not giving not giving a fuck like doing what you need because you need to do it not being um reliant on other people's opinions it's, it's yeah on, on a on a practical level yes um there's just a detachment and it's kind of, it's like directional. Um, I don't know. Whenever I, th whenever I think of it, I just think attention, awareness, intellect, not saying that women don't have intellect because obviously they have the masculine inside of them, but I think intellect, um, 
I think decision making. Um, I agree. Yeah, but it's a very, it's a very expansive feeling of like kind of holding space and whatever is happening around you is just what's happening. It just is what it is. There's not a very strong attachment or connection with anything because you're just watching what's happening. Mm. That's at least what it feels like for me. No, that's fascinating. It's really fascinating because I think it's, it's so interesting to hear it from the opposite point of view. And there's something so beautiful about being in touch with that, that real inner primal part of who you are, what your soul is. And I want to um, bring attention to what you said about, or just how you were talking about being in touch with your feminine side, because I also think that's really amazing sentiment that you're even comfortable being able to articulate that and, and experience that because there's a lot of um, men and people who aren't comfortable getting in touch with that feminine side, which is such an explorative side of who we are. Um, but with that being said, there's also, like you said, women who don't even want to get in touch with their feminine side as well and reject it. And there are women that's, you know, that try or that defensively or whatever it may be, might get in touch with their, their masculine side to lead their way, to make sure that they can survive. You know, it's, it's sometimes survival tactics or whatever it had to be. Um, so it's really, it's really fascinating. And, and there needs to be more normality around getting in touch with either side or whatever whatever you feel drawn to and embracing both or whatever, because we're not going to feel always completely in touch with the feminine divine or always completely in touch with the masculine. There are days when I'm sure you feel much more in touch with your feminine divinity. And sometimes you feel much more in touch with your masculinity as in, as is with me. And um, I think getting comfortable with that, the, the multi or, you know, the multifaceted aspects of our personality um, not even our personality, our soul, and the the base of who we are. Uh, that's where that's where growth can come in. But and if you were talking about the unevolved, the wounded female, which I didn't touch upon. But see, I don't I don't know how much I can speak to the wounded female. I guess the unevolved female principle. Um, yeah. It's it's hard in general because these polarities are always an oscillation yeah so it's very hard to pinpoint yeah it's very hard to like pinpoint like it's like it's like trying to turn it's like trying to build structure out of something that inherently kind of lacks structure absolutely it's like trying to say that god is a man in the sky yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah it's um it's hard well this whole entire realm of what we're talking about is is um a space where it's you're we're giving words and names to things that that don't have words and names to things that are intangible that we just feel um we can feel within our soul and believe but these aren't things that we can see and these aren't things that are you know um that aren't as concrete as my phone and and you know the air that i breathe that's not as concrete but you know what i'm saying i do uh, because that's like that's the thing. It's like, whenever you're talking about such concepts, it doesn't really matter. It's the feeling that's coming along with what you were saying. And that's how people are able to connect to it. And perhaps that's the problem with, and I'm, I'm not looking to go in this direction for the conversation right now, but 
with religion. You know, I don't have, I don't have a big problem with religion because I think that, you know, there is beauty in it and there is meaning in it. But I think the problem is that these institutions tried to create that structure which has prevented people from the direct experience of these feelings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you can send me down a rabbit hole on that one, but, but I do agree. I do agree. I think that, that we have to create our own belief systems compromised of a variety of teachings that, you know, it, it's, it's a beautiful opportunity that we get in this life to learn about the different belief systems that have been in this world for centuries, for, for hundreds of years. And we can pick and choose whatever we want. You know, we can, I spent, I, I joined Pagan Club for a little bit last year. So I was a witch for a little bit, you know, I love some pagan practices. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, you know, historically. And like, I feel that in my heart, but you know, I also take some practices from Buddhism. I also think that Islam is really beautiful. Um, I think that Christianity has some really nice sentiments to say. Um, I, you know, I don't love the shame that's embedded in Catholicism. No shame. I mean, no, you know, not trying to rack on Catholicism, but I, I mean, every religion has its, has its, its, its ups and downs, but <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not trying to get on a whole, I'm not trying to take down a whole religion. They're all great and you believe in whatever, whatever serves you. But point being, we have to create our own belief systems. I mean, look, buying into a community really works for some people. And that's great. Communities are a beautiful thing. Finding like-minded people, having that support, it really, really is phenomenal. But being able to truly feel that whatever you want to believe, is, is justifiable, is valid, is honorable. You're not going to hell, um, you know, just, just for not abiding by, by a rule in the book. Now, I think that needs to be more socially acceptable, but I think it is. I think the, that religious institutions are actually a bit of a dying practice, which is interesting. And I have mass respect for religious institutions. I've always, um, you know, I've been very blessed to be able to, you know, visit various religious institutions growing up, but there is, there's just a detractor from going to organized religion, organized systems, anything that's organized, because we can make our own path in this day and age. We don't have to buy into someone else's system when we can make our own system entirely. So that's, that's, that's the, I guess it's the beauty of what's moving forward. I just hope that we don't lose our history collectively but that's that's not you know that's not the biggest of my worries uh, there's always going to be people honoring the history of the past yeah it just it's about freedom like to me it's just about freedom like if you know it's about experiencing heaven on earth <laughs> it's not about dying first to get to heaven it's about experiencing whatever reality you want to experience right now um, I agree. but i do want to hear your your take on the wounded feminine yeah so well the wounded feminine i feel like i could i have more to say about the inner child than the wounded feminine which i feel are well let's go into that then thanks okay 
Because I think that's, I mean, that's... They're similar. Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. So uh, the inner child is, is something that I've been uh, very keen on understanding, especially the last few months, but definitely the last year of my life. Um, so for those who don't know, the inner child is, is the wounded part of ourselves um, that still needs to be healed. And when we are you know, when we're under the age of 10 years old, we're in a different consciousness space. We're in a space called uh, egocentrism, where we believe that everything going on in our lives has to do with us. And not, you know, it's not our fault. It's, it's we're, we're young and we're just inherently selfish. We believe that the world revolves around us. We don't know better. So say there's something like, you know, dad comes home for, late from work every single day and he's very angry and he doesn't want to talk to anyone and he goes and sits on the couch and grabs a beer. And when you're growing up every single day, when you're under 10 years old, then you might, um, you know, you might internalize this and feel like, okay, then, you know, dad, daddy's grumpy because of me whenever he comes home from work and, you know, it hurts my feelings. He must not love me. I must not be deserving of love. You don't know that you're internalizing this at age 10, 7, 8, whatever it may be, but but these are things that stay with you. And you know, dad never stood up and said, sorry, this has nothing to do with you. This is just this is just what I have to do. And that's just a, an objective point of view. There's lots of trauma that is also like incidental where we grow up and you know, we have parents moving out, we have parents divorcing, we have um abusive abusive parents there's a lot of family like family trauma that goes on that can also bring about the inner child but there's also much more subtle ways like your dad coming home angry every single day when you're younger and as we grow older say that very same example um, in a relationship when you're you know 25 30 years old and your partner might come home from work um and not do the dishes and not do the dishes and you end up flipping out and getting very angry because you feel like you're not being heard and you've asked them a million times to do the dishes and they're coming back grumpy and you feel like your inner child is making you super offended and um, you end up being very emotional towards the fact that they haven't done the, the dishes because you feel like they're not respecting you, they're not listening to you and they're not, you know, they don't, they don't appreciate what you do, whatever it may be. And if we're able to take a step back and say, okay, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not so warranted that I'm getting so angry about the dishes. You know, maybe that doesn't make sense. Maybe this has to do with something else. You know, I don't, what am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling that I'm unloved and not listened to. Hmm. You know, what could this, what could this be about? I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe this has to do with when I was younger. You know, my dad used to come home and, and from work and not, not listen to me and not hear me out. And, wow, this correlation, you know, this is, this is coming into my, my everyday life. So our inner child can come up to sabotage us. Our inner child can come up, you know, all the, all the time. And there's a lot of wounds that we don't even realize that we have, that we need to take care of. And a lot of this yoga, meditation, self-reflection, um, mindfulness in our everyday life allows us to start to heal our inner child. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's something that we take with ourselves. It's something that we need to be that we need to be okay with. And I, I was speaking to this really amazing um, woman. She's my friend Inez, but she's a, she's a middle-aged woman. And she was talking about the inner child. She's a therapist. We were having this lovely conversation about it. And um, she's telling me, she goes, you know, we can't, 
if we're ever gonna gonna heal our inner child and we're making these tough conversations or we're having these you know because if you're realizing that we're self-sabotaging because of these inner traumas that we have and we're trying to put something do something about it so say you're either trying to talk to your partner or your friend who you've offended and you're lashing out on or you've tried to talk to maybe your parent or something say you're you're five-year-old child self, your inner child, is a real child. It's a real child that you can have them around on your hand, take them around, hold their hand. Say you're bringing them to the event where you're trying to talk about your feelings or you're trying to talk about something and you meet there with whoever you're talking to's inner child as well because we all have our inner children. We all do. Um, and you're able, your inner child is able to be calm, say, may I share this toy? May I, may I sit down and play with you? Whatever it may be. And then this other, your other, the other child friend that you're there with um, starts throwing, throwing the toys and, and having disagreements and pulling your hair because their inner child doesn't realize, you know, that they're self-sabotaging. That other person doesn't, you know, isn't holding their inner child's hand, isn't saying you're okay. So what you're supposed to do, and, and this is applicable in life in any situation, is, you know, hold that five-year-old child's hand. You're a five-year-old child's hand. You're a younger version of yourself. Hold your hand in the way that it was never held growing up. Tell your inner child and yourself in these situations, you're okay. You're okay. You're protected. You're comforted. I've got you. You're loved. And, you know, if someone starts throwing blocks and the other inner child starts causing a fuss, you look at your inner child, you said, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do this. If they can't play nicely, we can't play nicely either. We're gonna leave. And it's about honoring this inner child. It really is. Because otherwise, if you don't honor it, you're gonna, you know, either your inner child's gonna be the one throwing and throwing the toys and screaming all the time, trying to get attention from others. Or you allow yourself to be to be beaten up. Your inner child isn't always um, isn't always acting outwardly sometimes your inner child is in survival mode trying to trying to save themselves um doing whatever they can do um so you could also you know if you don't take care of your inner child you can also coward and not even just coward but but retreat inward perhaps is a better word retreat inward and um allow yourself to be defeated from the things that made you feel that like that child in the first place so the inner child it's it's very complex um topic but because it's different for everyone but in layman's terms, it's really not because it's it's the parts of ourselves that haven't been healed. It's making sure that all the things that you weren't given growing up, um, no fault of your parents or, or whoever was around you, just whatever the circumstances were, um, allowing your now mature evolving self to give that to whoever, whoever that past version of yourself is and that inner child who is in there because you deserve it and we all deserve it. And um, it's, a, it's a very healing process that I don't think has been done in prior generations that we are doing now, which is breaking that ancestral trauma as we were talking about before. Yeah. It's such a beautiful experience whenever you make that connection with your inner child and you realize a pattern. Like there's a pattern interrupt and you're like, whoa, like, I know why I did that because X, Y, and Z happened whenever I was a kid. And every time I make one of those connections, it's just great because I can just connect all the dots and I can see how the inner child just runs rampant in my mind and in my life. 
It's just running around doing whatever it wants to do. And, and so that's why it takes not just the initial recognition of, you know, the wound, but it takes continued awareness and realizing that there are several or maybe infinite layers to that pain and to that unresolved trauma. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a fascinating um, subject and, and an important one. And it goes into the whole uh, shadow and light parts of ourselves because there's light work and then there's also shadow work. Um, and the point isn't that there's so much pain and destruction in our lives, you know. The point is that there's so much beauty and that there's so much grace and that there's so much joy and there's so many extraordinary, extraordinary things all around us all the time that our inner trauma and pain can keep us from, that we can self-sabotage ourselves from being away from. Um, so diving into this practice, though it's, though it's hard, and though it, it, it's a journey of a lifetime, um, it really ends up bringing you to a much, a much more complete, evolved grounds of existence and a greater appreciation for all the, all the gifts around us. Mm. One of my earliest memories is, um, so my parents were also separated whenever I was a child and like probably my first memory, like the only thing that I can really remember as a child is, um, I was sitting on the couch and they were fighting and there was just so much yelling and I remember my dad like was holding me at one point and then he put me down on the couch and I sat there and I literally just like watched them fight like things they were like breaking things like it was such a mess and whenever I look back on it now I'm like okay how does this translate to my life right now and the most logical insight is that i most likely have a tendency to i don't want to put words in your mouth mm. but is it is it maybe maybe is sometimes your first jump reaction to engage in that fighting like maybe the way to resolve issues it's is not it's to retreat okay it's the opposite to see i also for a long time retreated. it's to retreat and then to sabotage myself by saying that it's my fault mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i'm the person who caused that because like as a kid like yeah. who, who doesn't understand english yet is all these things are happening and i'm probably in my head thinking or feeling like oh like i did this like this is my fault when it's not and so that's just like one example of you know a wound that can take over your entire life because i i can only imagine how many behaviors and habits of mind that are embedded with that core wound absolutely absolutely and uh, and that's just you know that's that's the cherry on top. I can be, get that way a lot too, you know. If there's um, 
know, I grew up with a lot of conflict. And so if there's any kind of even remedial conflict around me, something so juvenile, I, I just retreat. It's like, I can't, I almost cut myself off, which is a very, you know, people either react really heavily or, or they move inwards as I was saying before. And more often than not, I'll just, I'm very easy to be detached from things. I'm very easy to cut myself off. I moved every two years. I had to. And, you know, if I, if I need to, if this is too dramatic, it's, it's too much conflict for me, then I'll just say, okay, okay. You know, yeah, this wasn't, you know, this friendship wasn't working out. This isn't working out. I'm gone. Which is not, it's not the mature way to solve things and not always the best thing for myself, which I realize. But it, it's, it's taking the time to realize that. I also was, uh, here's another different end of the spectrum. I was raised with so much chaos growing up. Not necessarily bad chaos, but constantly moving, constantly doing stuff. My parents are wild characters, lovely wild characters, uh, very complex people. So like life was always an adventure. And I was very comfortable in the chaos. And when I start getting comfortable, I often find that I'm very uncomfortable in the stillness. Like I will, my inner child would be like, okay, something must be wrong here because everything seems right. You know, like I'm not, I'm not and then, and then my, my inner, you know, I'm, I'm so used to, to this chaos that I feel at home in it, which is something I've had to understand and, and, you know, try to grow at peace with and realize what, what is truly good for me and what is not, you know, is this chaos, do you like the chaos? Like, is this, this the good kind of chaos or is this bad chaos so that you just feel comfortable in because it's crazy and because, you know, craziness feels like home to you. So it's very real, you know, it's very real. And like, I, I see it in a lot of ways in my life. And I try to, you know, I try to take a step back and not be so reactionary as to see what, what would actually be best for me and what am I just maybe tripping myself into thinking is best and we you know no one has the answers <laughs> yeah I wonder if because I was talking to somebody the other day about how they were moving you know a lot during their childhood I think she said she moved like I don't know it was a lot yeah. but I wonder if you being in all of those different environments and situations as a kid is somehow related to how tapped in you are right now. Because if you think about, you know, like, yeah, you're moving around in all these different environments, all these different people, as a human who is trying to survive, you have to be able to understand the energies that are going on around you and within you and be able to, you know, make decisions off of it and, um, and glean insights from them. So I'm perhaps that's, you know, a connection. Oh, I, well, I, I absolutely think it has, it has affected me and played into this. I mean, first of all, thank you for, you know, seeing this, this, or acknowledging that within me. I appreciate that. Um, I absolutely think so. I mean, I think part of it is a survival tactic I had to learn growing up you know, constantly the new girl, wherever I was, constantly having to make friends where, you know, I lived in California, Pennsylvania, and Texas, and New York, and um, cities and suburbs and all those, even though we're mostly attuned to cities, and everywhere it was very different. Um, and I met very different kinds of people, and um, very, very different kinds of people from all ends of the spectrum, you know, when we, and we've gone through some, some crazy stuff. I mean, Texas had some 
lovely, lovely, lovely people, respectable people. But then our first house we had to move out of because the neighborhood was anti-Semitic. And they, um, they literally told my brother that he killed Jesus and they put crosses on our lawn and like threw BB guns through our windows. It was the craziest, weirdest stuff. But um, like that, you know, I, I saw some crazy, I saw tolerance and intolerance at a young age for one and disparities in class and disparities in lifestyles and the differences um very very blatant always the youngest of four as well so i think i was forced you know i could i could have you know stood in the corner the whole time and not made any new friends but every single move introduced me to new people and new new experiences and new opportunities and whether or not I, you know, I was doing this work consciously as I am now, I am grateful that I was able to, able to have these, these experiences. And I think just really the, the, the variety of people I met is the most beautiful thing that I think offered me the most growth. Like, for example, in high school, I went to an inner city high school and and for middle school, I went to a performing arts middle school, which was also crazy downtown right next door to a strip club, actually. And then the and then in between there, I went to a, a I'm not going to say the name, but a suburban school for um, two years. And that was a culture shock. And I had to constantly check myself. Um, not even rework my personality, but I was constantly evolving to new versions of myself. Everywhere I was, I became a new person because like I was putting these different circumstances. Um, and, and schools and children really do operate in bubbles. So I think it's almost a dangerous thing. And I know that many people, actually it's a beautiful thing if you get to live your life in one spot. I'm sure that offers a lot of security that I wasn't, that I didn't get growing up, but I will say that being raised in one one bubble your whole entire life offers a lot of limitations, just as titles do, like we were saying before. It's, it, unless you're actively doing the work to go outside of your realm of whatever it is, your, your baseball buddies, your football buddies, your cheerleading buddies, you know, the people you sit with at lunch, whatever it may be, like that is your world. You think the world revolves around football games, um, you know, school dances and, and high school drama. But I'm very, I'm very grateful that I was able to see different spheres of existence and notice, you know, I, when I went to performing arts school, I was downtown next to the strip club. We saw, you know, women dancing for their, you know, for their existence and grown men going in there every single day. And then we went into our school and there are kids from all over the city of Pittsburgh who were singing, dancing, writing, doing art, um, and, and, um, playing instruments every single day and everyone was so weird and off the walls and uncensored. And it was not a suburban school. It was not like kids would, kids would give themselves tat stick and poke tattoos during class and everyone had shaved heads and half, you know, dyed hair. And I learned not to judge people on their appearance. And I learned, um, I learned how similar I was to people who were not like me. And I also, uh, you know, there are obviously, you know, I, I could go into this for hours, but, but that in itself was such a great 
learning experience, just living that existence. And then going to the suburban school, I saw that, you know, the bubble can limit you. The bubble can limit you. And then going, going to high school, I went to an inner, inner city school. It's called Taylor Alderdice. I'm so proud to have gone there. Um, and they, you can also know it reference as Taylor Gang. Um, <laughs> with Khalifa and Mac Miller went there, Malcolm McCormick at the time. Malcolm went to uh, school with my big brother, Maurice. Rest very of pro very yeah. profound. <laughs> yeah, both are very profound. It was, so it's, that gives you a little idea about my school. It was, it was crazy. It was highly diverse. Um, but we had to walk in through metal detectors every day. We had our bags searched. We had um, dog searches. We had a child care for kids' kids. Um, our education was heavily um, racially segregated, which is something that everyone realized and everyone saw. Um, it was an inner city school. We got no funding, um, but we had spirit and we had love and we had community and um, we had an active, um, an active group of students who just wanted wanted to be involved like I made you know I made friends there that I would never have made otherwise that I was grateful to have made I'm so happy that I got to go to a school with kids from the other side of the city and the other side of the the grass from me um because fuck that I don't want to be in a bubble with the same people as I don't want to be preaching to my choir I want to have discussion I want to have um you know conversations I want to have debates I want to have dialogue I know what it was like and our school is 10% refugees and, um, you know, it was, it was, it, it was so amazing. So many kids were a part of the Jewish student union and all me and all my friends were part of the black student union. Everything was connected. Everyone was trying to help each other. It was just a community. And then I went to Syracuse and I got, I almost felt like I got put back into the suburban environment, but each place I went, I learned, so much and it constantly opened my eyes and everywhere i met i went i met incredible people who have overcame such crazy circumstances and you know no wherever i was i was always i don't know why this happens but I, i'm always gravitated to the people who have been through some kind of adversity in their life because they're fighters and they're soldiers and i feel like the energy normally attracts each other but i learned the most from those people because you know they they have their eyes more open, their veils a bit more lifted, even if we are young. There's a difference, you know, it's, there's such a beauty if you, if you have an amazing upbringing, there's such a beauty to that and you have stability and you're given what you want. You don't have to go through that adversity. Like, cheers to you. I'm, you know, that's, your parents raise you that way. That's incredible. And I, I don't think it's so often that people have such an easy existence. I don't want to, you know, gloss over people's upbringings like that. But with all the, the troubles that I did have to go through, I feel so blessed because yes, I mean, to go back to your question, I do think that all the moves do, do contribute to where I am today because I see that people aren't, aren't, you know, people are multifaceted. People have so, so much depth and people come from such different cultures and backgrounds. Like it's even the place that you come from and your ancestry, like your culture, your religion, these all tie into how you perceive the world and how you go about it. So having that understanding has allowed me to take my barriers down, I think. I think my barriers have been down for a while. And I think I'm really open to the world and whatever it wants to show me and, and offer me. So I'm really grateful for, for these travels. So yes, I do think, I do think that yes, they've aided me, um, gratefully so.
That's amazing. I, um, I feel like, you know, being able to see all of these different identities around you and just being in that melting pot. And then also at the same time, trying on your own identity, identities, all these different things that are not really you. Um, but you know, they, they have their time and their place um, as it pertains to your development into who you actually are. But perhaps it takes that exposure and you know, the trying on of all of those different identities in order to find you. In order to realize who you are, you have to fully realize who you are not. And that, for me at least, that has been, <laughs> that, I mean, that's been huge on my path. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as a kid, so, you know, in middle school, I would say primarily, or maybe that's like when I first realized it, but, you know, I was just the kid who, you know, I was, I was always just trying to be something else. Um, there was a, there was a period in my life where I wanted so badly to grow taller. So I would drink like six glasses of milk before bed every night. Um, and I would say that cause I played basketball and I, and I would say that like, there were like two different thoughts in my head. One thought was, oh yeah, I, I'm doing this cause I want to be better at basketball, which maybe that was true, but was that all of the truth? Probably not. Was that the highest intention? Probably not. It was probably because I thought that I would be accepted more if I was taller. Um, and so, I mean, it, I mean it, it just goes on and on and on with all of these different things that I would try to be. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I would just do, and, and even something that I think about a lot is just how, and I would say this was probably late middle school, early high school, where my thing was kind of just like manufacturing confidence. So, you know, manufacturing a strong posture, manufacturing a strong voice, manufacturing, um, you know, body language or like whatever it may be in order to be perceived in a certain way. And it just never worked. And that was an example of me, you know, putting on all these different masks and eventually reaching a tipping point where I'm like, okay, none of this works. None of this works. And that's the point where you're in the void. <laughs> you're in the void of existence. You're in the darkness and there's nowhere else to go but inward and to fully remove all of these masks and these false identities. And so, and then once that, once all of that is taken away, then everything that you wanted comes. The natural confidence, the natural, just 
all of that. Like it, in me, in me trying to do things in order to attain it and to reach it, I'm simply acknowledging that it is out of my reach and that I am not it. Mm. So that was the realization. I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm, I mean, yes, I'm perfect, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm not perfect. So yeah. <laughs> how, did you, how did you get to this, this point where you were like, I no longer, I, can, I no longer can have to have to, uh, strive to be these things like when did you realize i know you know manufacture it as you say yeah um so i would like to say that things definitely really started my freshman year of college when i started to meditate and i started getting into meditation and breath work um and all these different things but if i'm being truly honest it was the first time that i tried plant medicines and um i mean that just really what you mean um psilocybin oh wonderful um, actually i've had a very enlightening experience as well in <laughs> yeah. my life but so we're gonna go down here <laughs> i mean that experience showed me how free it was possible for me to be and it showed me that all of these things i was looking for are inherent to me i am it but the only thing that is preventing me is myself so I mean, it was the most, you know, the first time that I did it, it was the most liberating experience of my entire life. I mean, just the freedom. I mean, I, I realized how I was straining myself and pushing myself in all, in all of these different directions from the way that I walked to the way that I talked to everything. Like I was, like I was walking down the street and I told my friend, I was like, dude, like walking feels crazy. And that's because I was actually like walking for the first time. Yep. Um, and you know, it definitely was uncomfortable at first, especially the very first time that I did it because I was brought into that darkness within mm -hmm. myself. I was brought directly into all of the you know, all of the patterns that I have and all of the maladaptive behavior um, and all of these things that are really tying me down. And so it really showed me that, I mean, maybe, maybe it was so uncomfortable because that behavior, yeah, I, I've been programmed to do it, but it wasn't natural. It's not as a human, my nature. And so you know, eventually I was able to break through from that during the experience and just realize that freedom. And so after that is when I would say the work truly began. So it's interesting you bring this up because I also had an experience where I was 18 when I had a, when I had a plant medicine experience, um, legally in Amsterdam at the time. 
and um, it completely changed my view on the, on the world and healed a lot of past trauma I had. Um, I was in Amsterdam. I was with my boyfriend at the time, and we were very, very comfortable together, very safe. Um, we loved each other very much. And we got our, our psilocybin, and we took it. And I, yes, it was freeing, and I felt connected to the world in a way that I always knew that I was connected, but it felt amplified. It felt like it was almost like validated by the universe. But furthermore, I saw my family as human beings. I had so much more respect for my mom and my older brother and, and my dad and my twin brother and my older sister. I just was like, oh my God, like they've gone through so much. I like, they're such soldiers. And I think that this is all about me. Like I thought this was all about me in high school. And really everyone else is just trying their best. Everyone's trying. And I, and I also it completely, I had an eating disorder in high school. It was my way of trying to like control things. I think that was my own inner child trying to heal its trauma in a very unhealthy manner. And, um, but yeah, it was all about control. And I, I realized that, but I never, you know, at 18, I didn't, I was just going into college. I was just trying to figure out, like I, anyways, taking this little psyven, like allowed me to see that this body is my vessel. Like, as I was saying before, that how strong and powerful that our bodies are and how much we have to, we have to support and nourish it. And I felt like I was locked in a cage. Like I had been locked in a cage for so long and I was allowing myself to be, I was, I was living in this tunnel. I remember seeing it vividly, just like this image that um, I felt conceptualized everything I was feeling as I was living in this tunnel underground and a lot of other people live in this tunnel and go through their everyday lives in this tunnel, not realizing they're in the tunnel. But so many people are living up on, on the grass where the sun is and enjoying that, that existence. But I, I just needed to find a way to get up there. And by realizing, by taking the psilocybin, I almost, you know, and it's not just a psilocybin. Psilocybin allows your brain to connect, your neural pathways connect in a way that they don't normally connect. There's actually a thing, um, called like fungal information, something of that sort. It, it has to do with the stone date theory. Like fungus literally has ancestral knowledge trapped within its DNA. Like it allows our brain to restructure itself in amazing ways that, that work much more efficiently than our brain normally does. And that's how they think that, that's how some people believe that we went from apes to fully conscious beings anyways. Um, but it, it it broke down so many barriers, allowed me to take a step outside of myself and my, my life and see that number one, I was killing myself. I was literally killing myself. I was like, I'm not gonna allow myself to kill myself any longer. I can't, I, like, what am I doing? You know, what the fuck am I doing? I'm 18 years old. I have this amazing body and I'm not taking care of it. And secondly, I, you know, brought a lot of love and attention to my family and to wounds that I needed to heal that I didn't realize that I needed to heal. Um, but that was like an incredible experience for me. So I really understand, you know, and I've, and I use plant medicine on, on several other occasions, which always, I, I do think if you go in there with the right intentions, it can be a very beneficial practice. Um, and you're with the right people and, you know, you're doing it responsibly and, you know, trying, setting intentions with your journeys. But that in itself, before I went to college was extremely healing. And I'm really happy I had that experience. So I see where you came from when you, when you um, took a leap into the to the plant medicine and saw that that we're perfect as we are, that there's no you know there's nowhere else to go because everything is here. 
Everything is here, right here, right oh, now. God. That reminds me, I mean, it was, I mean, this is like something that I will remember forever. It was the third time, I believe, that I did it. And, um, you know, we were all sitting around a table in my apartment. And I started to enter the zone. Like, just how deeply connected I was to the present moment. I mean, I people would ask me questions like, um, you know, the other people there weren't having the same experience um, because they didn't take it. But, you know, it seemed like they were, you know, they were inquiring about how I was feeling and they would even ask me questions and things like that, but I, I couldn't even talk like that. Like that's how deeply in the moment I was like, I felt like there was nothing to say. Yeah. I wanted to say something, but I was like, it speaks for itself. Like there's yeah. nothing to say. Like it's here, man. <laughs> it's all here. Just open your eyes. So, and so someone got up and we're like, okay, like, um, we should like go somewhere. And so they started to like get up and like pack bags, or, like whatever to leave. And I was kind of just sitting there. Like I wasn't, I wasn't going to move. And um, I just remember like exclaiming, I was like, there's nowhere to go. Like there's mm -hmm. nowhere to go. And, and I don't know, maybe that energy kind of spread to them and they kind of acknowledged you're like, yeah, like you're kind of right. Like there's nowhere, like, like what are we gonna do? Go somewhere new and do exactly the same thing. Just like sit here, <laughs> like, so constantly looking forward to the next thing mm -hmm. um it's absolutely i completely understand that we're constantly looking all the time all the time i think that's um it's that instant gratification it's that instant gratification that we're like programmed to do with the way that we've been raised with technology and 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 our media our text message our phone calls everything's instant everything's instant mm -hmm. Well, when we take a second to sit back and just just be say okay there's this moment this moment is happening now and we're able to reach out and grab it if we want you know we're constantly moving moving places from a to b to c trying to find something else you know this is a general a bigger context but like i can move across the country and try to find the most amazing place in the world but if I'm not happy inside, I'm not going to be happy in LA or Florida or Texas. It doesn't matter where I am. Same goes to you and your friends. Like, you know, maybe they were antsy. Maybe they were looking for something. But hey, for you, like, I'm happy here. I'm happy within myself. Like, so this is the perfect place to be. You know? <laughs> like, this is it. Yeah. People, I and think <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that. But like, this is the way that we should be conducting our life all the time. Because... This is it. Who knows if there's another shot at this? You know, like, it's probably our only shot. So. And that's the thing, too. It's like, I feel like this is it has a negative connotation to it. Like, someone will be like, are you kidding me? Like, this is it? Mm -hmm. Like, this, But not like, no, like, this is it. Yes, um, man. Like, there is so much depth if you're able to get to the point where you're just receptive to it. Mm -hmm. 
I completely agree. And I also don't think that we're all knowing creatures. Like, I think that there could be so much, so much more. Like, think of all the realms of, of existence that we just, like, don't have access to. Like, just, like, you know, we can only see a limited number of colors, a limited range of, of, um, of spectrums of light. There's only so much that we as humans can interpret and that our brain can handle. Um, we have three rounds, three rods in our eyes um, that are responsible for for color, three cones essentially. Um, and the the uh, mantis shrimp, which is a shrimp, a, a huge lobster-like creature that lives on the bottom of the ocean, that has all these psychedelic, beautiful rainbow colorings. But they have twelve rods in their eyes, so they're able to see like just just imagine we have three and we see this multitude of colors. So they have twelve. 12. So it's like, if, if other mammals have the possibility to see this, these realms of existence that we can't even access, like, like we see what visible light, there's so much light, there's so much light work and energy going on right now. And just scientifically, yeah. scientifically, you know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, bullshit made up, you know, whatever. I know it sounds so flighty and spacey, but this is, this is science. There's energy around us at all times on all different spectrums. You activating and um if people think that this is it and that not that this is it like we were saying before but if people think that that we are all knowing creatures and that that this is all we have to know or or this is the only existence that we can interpret i think they're they're limiting their knowledge and their accessibility to the universe and all its secrets i truly think they are i know that's a grand statement but i think that there's so much going on in the universe that we can't see. I just, I just, I just feel like there's so many different plates of existence, and I'm sure that light is swirling around us in in space and time all the time. That we just, we're humans. We're not the most evolved creatures here, or wherever. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what's the most evolved creature, but like, we're definitely not as evolved as we could be. Mm -hmm. We're very. Um... Honestly, I think as a society, we're very elementary. Mm -hmm. I um, think that there's a far way that we could go. Absolutely. Um, well, we have to wrap up here soon. Um, so I want to ask you one more question. What are three teachers or teachings that you would recommend to the listeners? So whether it's a book or a person or a podcast or Upon yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so two favorite people to, to listen to, read books um, about, or read books from all the above, just learn about would be um, one Ram Dass, um, Baba Ram Dass, it's his like monk name, and then Alan Watts. Um, they're both professors, well, they're deceased, but they were professors at Ivy League universities during the 60s and 70s that um, ended up starting to take LC and other plant medicines and um, completely turned the consciousness revolution or brought about the consciousness revolution in the new wave um, of the 60s and 70s and brought it to America, brought all this um, meditative thought and, and practices from Asia and brought them to America and uh, people say people have said it was like bringing Jesus um, bringing Jesus to the new age it was 
they were truly a mouthful, mouthpiece for the generation and have some really, really beautiful things to say about living in the moment, uh, servitude, um, finding our meaning in life and what life truly is, what, what our existence is. So Alan Watts and Ram Dass. Um, additionally, I mean, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, I'm just gonna put kind of like off topic, but what I've been doing recently is listening to all sorts of news sources to just understand different points of view, which I think really gives me a more solid footing in my point of view. So what I've been doing is listening to Fox News and listening to right sources and conservative sources um, to understand what's going on in the world. Because as I was saying before, if we just stay within our own bubble, we're only listening to the same voices being projected back at us. Um, obviously, listen to uh, voices of color right now. Try to amplify um, POC because their voices are important. But um, it's, I also think it's important to see what, what people of all sides are saying as well, just to keep ourselves grounded and aware of what's going on in the world. But those are, those are my three. Well, cool. Thank you. And I really enjoy this conversation. And I think I, I would love to do something like this again. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting me pick your brain and for picking my brain. Absolutely. Well, I'll see you and have a good one. All right. Thanks.